We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The players and teams that will decide the semifinals in fantasy football leagues this year. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substock.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. Sean, we got plenty of things we could talk about today. We have a team through our Stealing Bananas team through to the semifinals in the Best Ball Mania, the team that we famously auto-drafted Bijan Robinson in the first round. We're trying to get uh, a CD Lamb. That's a really fun one. It got through despite having Bijan Robinson, obviously not getting a lot of points from him and not using his score this past week. He could wind up becoming a low-owned piece for that team. It's kind of interesting to think through, you know, whether we would prefer to have him right now. Because I do think in terms of your odds to win the whole thing, you know, having a really low-owned piece like that can be really interesting. We also have a team in the FFPC main event that is sitting at 40th overall after the first week of the three-week sprint. We're hoping to kind of climb a little bit more. Uh, We had DeAndre Swift on Monday night. Not a ton of teams at the very top had a lot of Monday night exposure, naturally, because there were a lot of teams that had been scoring leading into Monday night. Swift got tackled. We were just talking about before the show got tackled inside the five, I think three times, you know, just several opportunities to potentially score. Didn't actually get a TD. Decent little game, but he only scores 9.5 points. Would have been fun to get a 20-point game out of him or something. We could have been a little bit higher, but certainly live there, sitting in 40th right now and looking up at about a 30-point deficit to the top. Going to need another big week. We ended up with 190 points in week 15. You know, again, if, if Swift could have went for 20, we would have we would have got a 200-point week, which would have been pretty huge. But we are now in position to, you know, with another big week to potentially go on and, and contend there as well. So that's that one. The best ball mania one, we could get eliminated this week and be done. It's each week there are eliminations. You have to win your pod against a lot of other good teams. Um, that that one is a is a Dak Prescott team. You were mentioning to me a big brain and Cook's week would be really huge for that team. I just mentioned Bijan's another guy. Like if those two guys go off this week, we'll be we'll be pretty happy. 
our FFPC team will continue through to week 17 regardless, but we, you know, you can kind of get eliminated if your team just does really poor. Because you, you really yeah, you've got to score enough points to stay in the mix. Right. And so that is a team that uh, it was a Goff, Almond, Ross, St. Brown stack. DeAndre Swift, Brees Hall, James Cook is a big piece there. Trey McBride's a big piece there. Jalen Waddle went off for us last week. We have Puka Nakua on that roster. Those are the guys that make up our starting lineup. We lost some depth. We lost Ramondre Stevenson. And so not a lot of actually uh, a lot of options to shift up our starting lineup. That's probably going to be the dudes that we go to bat with. And we're hoping those guys give us a ceiling week and, and give us a, you know, a chance to potentially take down the overall. But yeah, some fun sweats for us in the, in the stealing bananas world. You mentioned we also have a, a you know our pros versus Joe's team is doing very well. We have some other you know little things like that going on, but yeah, we're looking ahead now to week sixteen and trying to figure out you know who's going to define the, these fantasy playoffs. Week fifteen was an interesting week with uh you know some spike weeks from some sort of unexpected places. Some of the you know. Guys that got you there didn't necessarily produce. I mean, Tyree Kill didn't play. I mean, he was one of the big, you know, big winners of the regular season. Fantasy football playoff season is always so wild. You know, it, it, whatever you, it gets you there doesn't always necessarily come through. And there's a lot of variability. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of quarterback injuries, something we've talked a lot about that has changed the feel of different teams and and the quarterback position in fantasy. So a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff to be looking ahead at, and we had a lot of exposure to the 49ers this season. But it's interesting, I think, especially since they had another very good game. That our main event team does not have 49ers. It does not have Sam Laporta. When you and I were chatting on Sunday, and he went off, we were both initially excited, and still, you know, very justifiably so. It was, it was important for some of our other teams. But then we look at this team, we're like, oh, it's actually all of the other teams that had Sam Laporta. Yeah. <laughs> so that part is a little bit amusing. We only get you know about 12 points here from our two starting running backs. It, it is interesting when you see that and when you see the Puka score to think like how did we get up to 190? You need to have a lot of big scores, not just decent scores. One of the things that we did last week successfully is go with Jared Goff and Amon Ra. We also have the ability to go with Tua and Jalen Waddle calling the quarterback right was huge last week that's something that we'll have to decide as we go forward and depending on where we are heading into week 17 depending on which teams have us covered if that comes into play we'll have to look at the quarterback matchups and decide what we want to do obviously Jerry Goff this week is on the road that hasn't been good for him but he's on the road in a dome so not the same situation that we get it was always so scary if you had Andy Dalton and a lot of people are going to be like, you should not have Andy Dalton if you're trying to, you know, win the <laughs> playoffs. But if you have like Andy Dalton and AJ Green and you're thinking, like, this is the week we need them, if they were playing outside in the elements in a bad weather in the semifinals in the championship, which in Cincinnati you would have very frequently, then that would make you nervous because that wasn't Andy Dalton's strength. It's certainly not Jerry Goff's strength either. I mean, I feel some pretty serious relief that you're going to have that game in what could be a shootout. The problem, of course, is that the Minnesota Vikings defense has been a tough matchup recently. Obviously, we have a game where they throw a shutout, and then the team they shut out scores 63 points the next week. Now, again, some extenuating circumstances. You're not always going to get to face 
the Los Angeles Chargers in that second game. But Ben, it it's always a wild ride when we get to this time of the season, but 2023, if anything, feels even more so. You talked about us having Bijan on our BBM team that advanced. We have Brees on this main event team. And I'm looking at this and thinking the other Brees Hall managers are probably not in as good a shape. If he could have a big game this week against the Washington commanders. And even if you have Nathaniel Hackett as your coordinator, you have this revolving door of quarterbacks who should not be on NFL rosters at QB. The you pull up our advanced stat explorer, you can see that the New York Jets are among the league leaders in blown blocks in the running game. There are a lot of things working against you if you're Brees Hall, but a matchup with the Washington Commanders is not going to be one of those. That is a perfect setup. I mean, if he could ever go for 35 in 2023 with everything stacked against him, it would be this matchup. That's pretty exciting. So much of what happened last week doesn't seem possible. The team that Pete and I have from the Best Ball Banana Stand series is a Cup Higgins Ramondre Stevenson team, the team that drafted with Pat on his marathon is a Justin Herbert Keenan Allen team. Then you needed to be able to get through some of these types of situations. Number one, you've got to advance those teams in the first place and then have that James Cook on your roster. It was a crazy week. It was a fun week. The quarterbacks are still very definitively determining this season by whether or not they are healthy you have a situation that just for me is so heartbreaking where you have a team in 25th that has justin herbert and cj stroud as your two quarterbacks and that kind of leads us back around into this conversation of what the quarterback's role is and who the mvp should be this is a lot of fun we've kind of chimed in on this at different points in the season. I made the case that I was going for CJ Stroud. Obviously he can no longer be that with the injury there. Dak Prescott has been the favorite at different points with his like true breakout to stardom season. And then, you know, that gets derailed when you are crushed to the extent that the Cowboys were against Buffalo this past week. You have a situation where Jalen Hurts is ill and can't get the Philadelphia Eagles across the line on Monday night. And the flip side of that is that the San Francisco 49ers continue to pull away in the NFC. They look like the overwhelming Super Bowl favorite when you're drafting in the underdog playoff contest and you're trying to decide how you want to build teams in that format where you need to have a full live team in the Super Bowl. The prices on the 49ers, obviously extremely high, and then the tactics that you have to deploy in order to have a lineup that can advance in the first week, but then still have the players you need in the finals. That's a really interesting discussion right now, how you build those teams out. But Ben, you you got people very fired up the last couple of days by arguing that Brock Purdy has had a fantastic season and yet not an absolute guaranteed MVP season. 
We are fast approaching the holiday season. We're always looking for the perfect gifts for those near and dear to us, our families and friends. And what could be better than a ticket to a live event? We're heading towards the crucial weeks of the NFL season and there's so much sports going on, but there's also concerts, comedy, theater, so many other things that you can go and get a ticket to this time of year. Can be stressful looking for tickets, getting the best price, the best seats, trying to figure everything out to have the best experience. But it doesn't have to be like that because buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful game time is a fast and easy way to get tickets for all the sports music comedy and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you will have they have exclusive flash deals they have the game time guarantee which means you'll always get the best price if you find a ticket in the same section and row for less game time will credit you 110 percent of the difference buying tickets in a matter of seconds two taps on their app and your set so whether it's for a gift or whether it's just to treat yourself this holiday season snag tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account use the code rotoviz for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account redeem the code rotoviz for 20 dollars off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. You you lay it out. Like, what happened this week is pretty, pretty clear. Like, was very favorable for Purdy. The other name that I... Don't know that he actually had a legitimate shot to win, but was at least in the discussion. His odds had gotten reasonably in the discussion as Tyreek Hill. When he is in and out of that Tennessee game, 
people were really talking about it because their offense looked so bad when he wasn't on the field and they lose to Tennessee, but then he misses the Jets game. They win 30 to zero. They're very successful without him against a good defense. And also just the fact that he misses more time. He's now missed a game and a half where, you know, for him to even have a shot, he was going to need to play all 17 games and put up like 2,200 receiving yards or something just absolutely absurd, which was, was within his range if he doesn't get injured. You know, he's had so many explosive games. He could have done some stuff statistically that was so shocking. Yeah, the, the Purdy thing was funny. I tweeted out this week that I, I don't what I don't think is very controversial, but it got, you know, a lot of response. And one of the responses I got compared him to Jalen Hurts and said, that you know we're we're really hard on Purdy, but we're not hard on Hertz. And Hertz has a similar great surrounding surrounding cast or something to that effect. I mean, my response to that was that you know to mention that Jalen Hurts has had 50 starts already. If you go back to when he was in his first full season as a starter, he was getting these types of comp. I mean, it was constant. Actually, it was like, what are they? Should they have moved on from Carson Wentz? It was like a part you know a conversation when he when they decided to make that move. Uh, you know, should they pay Jalen Hurts? All of those types of things were very much in discussion in 2021, in 2022, even until he went all the way to the Super Bowl. I think he really kind of quieted the doubters in the postseason last year. But I think even in, but I mean, you still hear it with Hurts. You still hear it. Like I, I was saying to you, like after Monday Night Football, he had to fly his own jet to the game, which like the team doesn't make that decision lightly. That's an expensive, you know, like you got to charter a jet. That's that's a you know, I mean, they're they're a, a rich football organization, but unless he's like really sick, they're you know they're not going to do that. It's not it's not just like a easy. You know, we don't just have like jets sitting. I mean, maybe they do just have jets sitting around, but whatever. He got chartered his own jet, so we didn't get other people sick. I mean, he was that sick, and and still almost won the game. They lose late in part, mostly because the defense gives up a ninety-plus yard drive late to you know to Drew Locke. People are on Twitter saying Jalen Hurts isn't it, and you know he's a very average quarterback and all these things. Like people are still making those comments about him. The reason the people are making those comments about Brock Purdy at this point is that he's still in his first year as a starter. Like, I mean, it's not like this is rocket science to say, but he is in his first year as a starter. He does have the best play caller in the entire NFL. He does have a hall of fame left tackle. I got a bunch of people when I said that saying the rest of their offensive line isn't amazing. Okay. Uh, and, and then he, I would argue has the, the, arguably the best skill position group of all time, which was something I tweeted and got some comments that that's not, you know, a serious take. I mean, I'm dead serious about that. I was talking to you about it before the show. I had people replying that, um, you know, MVPs are always surrounded by a lot of talent. And then one person that said that made the comparison to uh, the 2004 Colts. And so then sent me the, the roster and it was an Edron James, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark roster. That's a good roster. Harrison and Wayne in particular are very strong. I'm taking Kittle over Clark every single day of the week. I'm taking McCaffrey over Edron James many, many days of the, I mean, every day of the week, like, like even more than Kittle over Clark. Like, I don't think people, everyone wants to, Default to running backs don't matter. McCaffrey does matter. I mean, you and I agree on this. We've been talking about this since the trade. You thought it was actually a really good trade at the time. And they gave up a lot, and a lot of people were mocking it. He's very clearly unlocked a lot of stuff. One of the really interesting questions we can maybe get into was somebody asked me, who would you rather bet on to win the Super Bowl, the Niners without McCaffrey or the Niners without Purdy? I ultimately said Purdy, but that it's a lot closer than most quarterback running back discussions, that there is gray area, that in, in most cases, a quarterback being out is going to move the line four or five points and a running back, maybe only a point. 
But in this case, Purdy probably only moves the line three or four points, and McCaffrey probably does move it two or three points. I mean, I actually think it's reasonably close. He's a a difference-making running back from a scheme perspective and the way that he impacts things. Uh, another point that I made was that, uh, on Twitter was that George Kittle was talking about McCaffrey this week as his MVP, which isn't to say that George Kittle knows what he's talking about other than to just say that, like, you know, he's there on in the building and how he parses credit is a unique perspective as well. He's not saying this is all Purdy. So I just I go back to these people that are like Purdy's specific efficiency means he has to win the award. He is, you know, 9.9 yards per attempt. I the the stat that is the one making the rounds right now is he has the second best adjusted net yards per attempt of all time or something, uh, which is the one that includes touchdowns and interceptions and maybe he makes an adjustment for sacks as well. Sacks as well. And yeah, I mean, like look, his statistics have been great, but part of my point has been and, and remains that like he is in a situation that's going to elevate his statistics to, to get back to the, the surrounding cast or the skill position group point. Uh, the, the Colts one, I, I, I said that to you, you said you don't necessarily think that's even particularly close. You would definitely take the Niners. I would too. I had someone else mention the, the Travis Kelsey, Tyree kill Kareem hunt chiefs early in Mahomes' career. Kareem hunt is nowhere. I mean, he's an average running back. It was, yeah, this best years, but he's not, anywhere near the impact of a player of Christian McCaffrey. And you're only talking about two real pass catchers. I would, you know, rank it in terms like when I, I made the comp on ship chasing last week to the greatest show on turf Rams. And I've seen the comp between Purdy and Kurt Warner before. And I think that's probably the best comp Marshall Falk and, and is the kind of running back that is on par with CMC. Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce are legit great players. One of the responses while I made that comment on ship chasing was that those are legitimate Hall of Fame receivers. But I think, and, and sure, Ayuk and, and Debo maybe are not yet. I think Kittle probably is. I was saying to you before the show, with his blocking and all the stuff he does after the catch, he's 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 a top five all-time tight end. He, he, one of the most dynamic players of that position we've ever seen. Debo... Maybe isn't a Hall of Fame player necessarily, but the the versatility and and that would be more about health. The versatility and the explosiveness with the balls ball in his hand is legitimately Hall of Fame impacting on the game. Like that, his peak as a player impacts the game the way that Hall of Fame talents impact the game. Schematically, the versatility and the versatility that McCaffrey gives you and the versatility Kittle gives you with the blocking, this is easily. Not just like maybe this is easily in the discussion of the best skill position group of all time because you those three so Kittle and Debo to me are comparable to, to Holt and Bruce especially with the dynamism and then Ayuk is so much better than like the Azakim or whoever their fourth option would be if you consider obviously Falk one of the big three Azakim was good he was a fun kind of cult hero at that time he is nowhere near the I mean I, Brandon Ayuk looks like a he's legitimate, not even really a starter. I mean, you're right. talking about a guy who's not even really a starter versus someone who is a Pro Bowl type of player. It's a Pro Bowl type of beats man coverage, one-on-one, downfield winning wide receiver, right? Like maybe they're like in some ways their most dependable, like go-to player in big spots. He goes and wins on routes when they need him to. So that's not just a throwaway fourth player. I I legitimately look, I mean, maybe there's something earlier in, in the NFL's history that is comparable, but I legitimately can't. I mean, I don't think even like the Michael Irvin and Smith Cowboys and that people would probably bring up 
they're not deep enough. Jane Novacek and, and Alvin Harper, and that's I mean that's not as deep of a. I mean I'm sure the Jerry Rice uh, Niners teams. I was thinking of the Vikings teams with Randy Moss and Chris Carter and Jake Reed and Robert Smith. Those were really fun teams. You had Randy Moss, you know, at, at his peak of his powers. But the the point is like this is not a, a throwaway comment. This skill position group and how dynamic and versatile they are in the current NFL. And if you kind of era adjust for the ways that defenses are playing and what their versatility allows Kyle Shanahan to do schematically week in and week out where you can't find answers for this stuff because he can always go a different direction. He can disguise everything. And it's so vital to success on offense in 2023. Again, none, none of that is meant to take away from Brock Purdy. I still would vote for him at this stage but there are people that don't want to actually have a real conversation. They just want to point to his numbers and say, because of what his numbers are, he's being done a disservice because he's not being just handed this award. And that's not, that to me is not like a real, like that's not being serious. That's not, that's not a serious take. The, the, again, the, the question about like what, how much would Brock Purdy being out move the line? I mean, that becomes a Sam Darnold question, but if you sit and you think about that, you go, well, I still would have faith in Kyle Shanahan and these skill position players to do a lot of things. Purdy has hit on, uh, I had some people send me a high rate of long uh, completions tied for the league lead, I think in 20 plus and 40 plus yard completions. And I, I mean, I want to see the stat where somebody breaks out how many of those were just pure yak plays. Cause you know, how many times has Debo taken a screen and gone on a huge play? How many short passes to Kittle have been all yak and become an explosive play? CMC's actually caught some vertical passes, but he's had a couple, I think, explosive pass plays that have been mostly yak. I mean, if we controlled for that, and we're certainly not giving all the credit to Brock Purdy on these play designs and and this elite ball-in-hand skill position guys going and making 60-yard touchdowns after the catch on a screen pass, I mean, that's a lot of Well, you can pull up, you know, in some of our tools, you can pull up a lot of other places that Debo leads the NFL in yards after catch per reception. George Kittle, one of the other players at the very top. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey adds a lot after the catch. And then it's great to have that complimentary player where Brandon Ayuk, it's not that he's not a, a yards after catch guy, but you want to have the vertical element, especially in the contemporary NFL where it's difficult to get that. If you can do the yards after the catch, and one of the things we were talking about a little bit, Rasheed Rice has been a breakout player for the Chiefs. He is kind of their answer to this question of what do we do other than Travis Kelsey. His ADOT is 4.3, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who everything is within four yards of the line of scrimmage. The number of deep passes basically doesn't even exist, right? You can pull that up in his player page on our site as well. If you're interested, the thing here with having Ayuk as a fourth guy and you think about fourth guy and we're just like a month removed from people saying that Debo is not even relevant anymore that Debo doesn't have this or that stat doesn't have a good open score doesn't do these other things Brandon Ayuk is very clearly their wide receiver one Brandon Ayuk is one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL you go on a little bit of a stretch here where Debo reminds us all of what we can do, and suddenly it's like Brandon Ayuk is just a guy. I mean, that's not remotely the case. Having the fourth player is absolutely huge in terms of what it allows you to do. Having that fourth guy who can score long touchdowns and who can not necessarily have to be a yards after the catch guy. So you have both elements covered. I mean, you think about the Kansas City Chiefs team, and it seems silly now 
because Tyreek Hill has been so good with the Miami Dolphins and his loss has been devastating to the Chiefs. But one of the reasons that they were willing to let him go beyond all of the other tactical kind of considerations is simply that they wanted to get more balanced and deeper because in that time frame, if you were able to take either Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill away, then the Chiefs became very one-dimensional. Now you say, well, being one-dimensional through Travis Kelsey or through Tyreek Hill, I mean, that's still an embarrassment of riches compared to what a lot of teams have. But when you're trying to make sure that you are surrounding Patrick Mahomes, you're trying to make sure that you win a huge number of Super Bowls, that you become the next Patriots, which, I mean, the Chiefs are in the process of doing. you still got to do a lot more now. But you look at the last five years and what the Chiefs have accomplished is really pretty absurd, right? But the Chiefs' depth behind those guys was so non-existent that it was actually problematic. I mean, you certainly can't throw the Chiefs in there, would be my point. And then you Byron Pringle! <laughs> Demarcus Robinson, who has uh, reinvented himself now with the Rams. The 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo. You look at that 2021 season, just as an example, and the trio there, without a Christian McCaffrey, is averaging with that group over 10 yards per target. The lowest person, person in the group is at 9.7 yards per target. They're creating elite efficiency with Jimmy Garoppolo. You think about what they did as a team, and they were on the verge of defeating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and I would say that's probably the best version of the Chiefs the most difficult Chiefs team to have beaten in a Super Bowl, they had in trouble. They didn't finish it. Now, And there may have been some things with a Garoppolo hit that limited him late in that game or else they go ahead and win. And again, not, none of this takes anything away from Brock Purdy, but one of the things that is kind of interesting with the greatest show on turf, for example, is that those guys in many ways emerge together. And it's not that... Isaac Bruce wasn't already a star or Marshall Falk wasn't already a star, but you think about the offense in that version that changed everything about the NFL and that goes on to win a Super Bowl. They emerge together with Kurt Warner. And I think that that is a different situation than what you have with the 49ers. One of the things that you and I were talking about was like Purdy and McCaffrey or or say Purdy and Elijah Mitchell versus Darnold and McCaffrey, which one will you prefer? The trickier question becomes, you know, if you put Garoppolo in for Darnold, because Darnold is, is problematic enough that you, you probably just prefer the good quarterback. I mean, quarterbacks are extremely important. But if you put Jimmy Garoppolo in there, a $70 million player who is so limited that he would get benched for a late-round rookie, and have that look like a decent decision. If you put Garoppolo in there, I think you would prefer Garoppolo with Christian McCaffrey, if you go and you look at that greatest show on turf team, you could probably make the claim that if you replace Kurt Warner with Trent Green, who goes on to do some very impressive things, leading a Chiefs Blitzkrieg offense with Dick Vermeil that has some similarities, obviously using a lot of the same schematic elements there. He's surrounded by a great offensive line. You get Priest Holmes, you get some of those things. You can replicate some of that. Maybe you would be fine actually going with Trent Green and Marshall Falk as opposed to Kurt Warner and not Marshall Falk. I mean, that's it's interesting. And you can say, well, similar situation. Again, we don't take that away from Kurt Warner. But because Kurt Warner was the guy who unlocked everything and led them originally to this absolute juggernaut, very difficult not to give him credit as the catalyst. 
And that was the other interesting thing, I think, with the Indianapolis Colts conversation, because if we want to, you know, try and work through this chicken or the egg argument and say, who is the person generating or causing or who is the origin point for everything that's happening with the Colts? You're going to, again, have that always be Peyton Manning. And we've seen Peyton Manning do that for other teams as well. You have the situation, again, a situation where he's surrounded by some good players, but Taking an Emmanuel Sanders, a Demarius Thomas, to the absolute heights. I mean, we know that what's allowing everything to manifest in quite that way is Peyton Manning. And in fact, Peyton Manning probably being limited by some of the coaches who were surrounding him for at least his tenure with the Colts, maybe not as much at the end of his career with the Denver Broncos. So again, in these other situations, Kurt Warner, Peyton Manning, very clear cut. With Purdy, not as clear-cut, and yet certainly with the things that you mentioned, with Tyreek Hill going out and then with the Dallas Cowboys situation, I mean, Brock Purdy's going to be the MVP unless we get another twist. And Ben, that's the thing that I also think is interesting here is that it's so easy to mostly remember the last week. And you think about a team like the Miami Dolphins where they managed to somehow lose a game to the Titans come back when 30 to zero against the jets and you say well it's the jets but i mean think about all the teams the jets have actually limited beaten despite all of their problems it was no guarantee that you're going to go into that game and you're going to get a 30 to zero i mean they could have limited to a and we'd be saying that it was all tyree kill and people wouldn't bat an eye at that they wouldn't be like oh well you're just looking at the one game they would say clear cut right you have this situation with the dallas cowboys where Every week with the Dallas Cowboys and with the Buffalo Bills, the team they played last week, which was one of the things that makes it so interesting, based on what happened the last week, the Dallas Cowboys or the Buffalo Bills are always either the team that is going to win the Super Bowl or the team that's the biggest chokers in the NFL. We're going to see some things with this 49ers team that maybe aren't so perfect as you go down the stretch. Maybe, right? This is a team that lost three games in a row during the season. There were... Also, some extenuating circumstances there. I'm not predicting that, but we have some time left in the season. There could be some more twists and turns. And if 2023 has told us anything, is those twists and turns could be pretty exciting. Yeah, that's one of the the things that I thought was interesting because I ended up kind of clarifying on Twitter when I had some of these back and forth that I'd vote for Purdy right now. But this week went really favorably for Purdy. There's no other real option. I'm not trying to argue that he shouldn't win. I think it's odd that people act like it's not a discussion and it's a broader point that I've written about signals a little bit. Sean, obviously we talk a lot about Kevin Clark had uh, Chris long on his podcast this week, shared a four minute clip on Twitter that I ended up sharing on Twitter. I thought was fantastic where he was just going into a lot of the ways that context matters. He, He referenced some things as a defensive lineman that I don't think a lot about. But we know, like, for example, the sacks don't always go to the player who creates the pressure necessarily. And so, you know, the pressures maybe matter more. But he was talking about some of the, the – you don't necessarily always know where the pass rush – like you're trying to get middle pressure versus versus edge pressure and some of the things that end up – you know, the, the the guy on the inside does his job to really push the, the quarterback out towards an edge rusher and create the sack and the ways that those things work and, and where the credit goes. And it is just a sport where, like – I mean, just we're I we've talked about this for a really long time in the football space. I do think with everything, as we move towards more and more quick 
bullet point evidence or information. That's obviously where we're headed as a society. That's where a lot of products are, are focused. You know, you have like TikTok and a lot of these things, which are great. Like I'm, you know, I'm wired the same way. I have two kids that are they're growing and they're like the, the next generation is increasingly wired on quick information and quick, you know, like nobody reads. In, well, I mean, you read novels. I, I forced myself to read a couple novels this off season. I'm sure a lot of people read them. Yeah, I did. My, and my, my wife reads a ton of novels. I don't, I'm not trying to say nobody reads. A lot of people read. But it's there's a shift in the way that we consume stuff as a society. This isn't obviously rocket science. I'm not going to go too deep into this point. But fantasy football and football analysis in general obviously just does is not tailored for that. And there's not really much that tilts me more and gets me like this. I mean, this is why I wanted to talk about this. This Purdy point is just to make this relatively nuanced point, not to, to talk bad about Bert Purdy, because like I said, I would vote for him right now, but this relatively nuanced point that he does need to be far more efficient than the other than Dak, you know, than some of these other players, Josh Allen, who who carry their rosters, right? I mean, like, and you make the, the Garoppolo point. We can go look at it. And yes, uh Purdy has elevated this offense. That, that's a nuanced point. I, again, would vote for Purdy right now because he's been better in this offense and he has been that much more efficient than all the other you know rivals that he has for MVP at this stage. But to your point, there's still three more weeks. But he's been better than Garoppolo and those other guys. He has elevated the offense. This is a better version of the offense because of him. But also, to add more nuance, because this is the first full year they've had Christian McCaffrey. This is the this is the best version of the 49ers for a full season that we've ever seen. No other quarterback has played with this, right? So let me ask you a question. Do you think that – so Aaron Rodgers won a couple of MVPs that I don't believe he should have won. Those were weird decisions to me. But do you believe that Aaron Rodgers, say a couple years ago, maybe not the very most recent version of him, but do you believe Aaron Rodgers would have been better than Purdy in this offense? Do you believe Patrick Mahomes would have been better than Purdy in this offense? Joe Burrow better, Josh Allen better. And then is that a fair question? I mean, I don't think I think we believe it's a fair question to ask, but have we painted Purdy into a corner where kind of as you were alluding to earlier? By asking it in that way, is it impossible for him to win? I mean, have we set it up so that he can't he can't come out on top because we're going to definitively think that these other guys would have been better? I mean, those the, I, I do think those are really fair questions. And I, I no, I, I don't think it's impossible for him to win. I think the specific point is what I just made that he needs to be more efficient statistically than the other players, and 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 largely so. It can't just be like. He's a little bit more efficient. Like we have to make adjustments. Uh, Kevin Cole, obviously a former longtime Rotoviz guy, does an adjust the quarterback efficiency adjusted, and he he does it through I know Yak and a couple other factors like turnover luck and some things. It's really interesting to look at his numbers because Purdy is now the top adjusted efficiency guy, but basically all year has been the biggest negative adjustment. Purdy and two is another one that's had a really big negative adjustment, which fits sort of our. Our thought, but this is a this is not you know guesswork. This is uh, in in a, a model that he's built. Kevin obviously does a fantastic job with his and Tua. I think is an interesting one as well, where he was on the verge of 
being more or less out of the NFL. Not, now, not out of the NFL, but being a backup, right? If they don't bring in a coach who loves specifically what he can do and builds the offense around him, and then Tua basically fit this profile last year for most of the year, and then you have the concussion element kind of take him out of play. But it's basically Tua and then Patrick Mahomes that people are dealing with there, and you have a similar type of question where a guy, in Tua's case, where he's taken a leap, where you've seen him both kind of as he is in an offense that's unfavorable and then in an offense that is extremely favorable. And then with Tua, you also have this element, which we should mention with Brock Purdy too. It's not just that he's doing this, he's doing this very early on in his NFL career, and we could expect him to get better, which is a scary thought for teams that are having to deal with everything the 49ers have. I mean, he is getting better, and the team is a more difficult stop, you know, more or less every week, I think you could argue. But, I mean, how does the element there with Tua too, where we've seen another guy who is probably somewhat limited in terms of skills that other quarterbacks like a Rodgers, like a Mahomes could deliver, but isn't necessary in the offense. And the quarterback has maximized everything that they do well. And again, it fits what they need to do well. Should we hold them accountable for the fact that they couldn't do the things that maybe a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers could do if they're doing what they need to do? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That's an interesting question. It gets to the idea of like a volume and, and, and a lot of that comes down to like coaches trust. I mean, in some ways the efficiency leads to less volume, but in other ways, I think we see the coaches. I mean, Brock Purdy, what's often used as a, an argument for him is how good he's been in raw numbers, despite not actually like he, I think San Francisco is dead last in the NFL and pass attempts, which has been the other big talking point this week from the Purdy stands. I must've heard that six times in my replies to my various tweets. So like, okay, yeah, they're dead last in pass attempts. Got it. Like, but also that is an argument against Purdy in some ways. And, and I understand that that sounds complicated. I, I the, the very simple or it sounds wrong. The very simple way to think through it is, well, they're winning all these games. They're getting out ahead. So obviously they're not throwing a ton. Another way to think through it is that the the guys that are relied upon the most go out and, and, you know, they run more plays in those things. Obviously the efficiency does cut into his play volume, but there's also an element here where that game manager, you know, box that he's put in and my whole argument would be we shouldn't be putting people into individual labeled boxes like that's just not 
a logical way to make football arguments. And we do that too much and we do it poorly. But, you know, that that little... To the extent there is any um, logic to the game manager point, the fact that he only has dropped... I just pulled up Kevin Cole's numbers. He has him as 428 plays at quarterback. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are the next two quarterbacks. They're at 576 and 579. And we have Hertz at 619, 150 to 200 plays higher for basically every other quarterback that's you know next on this list. Now, uh, one of the one of the things is is Kevin's numbers are looking at total EPA, not EPA per play or anything like that. So the fact that Purdy has had so few plays and still sits at the top with a, the biggest adjustment, negative adjustment because of all this yak negativity, and he has a a, a, a drops adjustment. Or I guess I have that backwards. I think the drops adjustment flips the other way. But anyway, he's getting his overall adjustment is negative, but he still has the most total EPA, not per play, despite a lot fewer plays. But I do think there's an element. You know, I think this is a great way of modeling it and looking at it as my point because he he does wind up really close ahead of, but close to Josh Allen, Mahomes, and Prescott. Mahomes has one of the largest positive adjustments because he's getting hit with you know negative drop stuff. And those types of things. Regard, I mean, the the point being, I when you ask me the question of all these other quarterbacks, if Rodgers was in this offense, if Joe Burrow was in this offense, any of these guys, I think Shanahan's calling more pass plays. And there is, uh, I, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they've been calling more with Purdy than they were with like Garoppolo and stuff. It were even more run heavy with the other quarterbacks. There is an argument here that they've been willing to open up the offense a little bit because Purdy's been there. But yeah, I do think if you know they had some other quarterbacks in there, that this offense would be even more dynamic. I, I mean, I, I think that's just from an opinion perspective. Now, statistically, would they be better? I don't know if they could be. Right? Like Purdy has been incredibly good uh, per play, and a lot of that comes back to this idea that it's sort of a small sample and Debo Samuel's yak and. George Kittle's yak. You just got done talking about how Debo Samuel leads at any you know reasonable volume threshold. Leads all players with you know yak per reception. Kittle is like not far behind. I was looking as you were talking about Ayuk and, and sort of talking about how he isn't necessarily that high. He is really high when you consider that his ADOT's fourteen point eight. If you go look at the other receivers that are anywhere near his ADOT, and it's one of the highest ADOTs for a higher volume receiver. But there's just not a lot of guys that have his type of yak per play at that type of ADOT. Like DK Metcalf was the only one I saw that was higher anywhere near his ADOT. And a lot of that's going to you know, have to do with whether or not you actually catch the ball fully behind the defense. Because then you, know, you can run it the rest of the way. Tyreek Hill, someone who, because of that and because of other run after the catch, has plenty of splash plays and has a lot of yak and in the thing here too a lot of people listening along are going to say you need to have the quarterback who can execute that shanahan offense perfectly so that the ball is placed such that when those guys catch it they can keep running and purdy has done a fantastic job of that so much of this too then i, I think does become a question of how much of the award is a team award and how much does purdy deserve to win it on behalf of all of these guys working together. And that would be one of my claims with, you know, some of those Aaron Rodgers situations where it's like, you're going to look back and not have given the award to Patrick Mahomes, who was clearly the best player. 
and when we're counting up at the end yeah you don't want to give it to the same guy every time but you do want to actually give it to the best player this year i would argue that's not mahomes even though once you make the adjustments for playing with people like Kadarius tony he looks awfully awfully good i think i can get behind purdy because his team deserves to have him win this award and, and again that's that's not exactly the conversation we're having but I, I do think it's fun and interesting to talk about the different layers of what the mvp is as well and and trying to get at this question of responsibility trying to get at the question of who is actually playing the best which are two separate things but also interesting things and i, I love the way that you have framed it and the discussion that you've generated by getting people at least to continue thinking about who is playing the best. I do like the fact that we do appear to be beyond now this element of not giving Purdy any credit because there was a time, you know, as recently as like a month ago where you have half the people saying this guy deserves to be MVP because of the numbers and the other half saying, I mean, maybe he's not even a good player because he's playing with all of these superstars. We've moved beyond that, which I think in fairness is the right place to be. And the other the other point I would make here before we you know move on to something more interesting is um, I don't know who I would even make a case for like as the next, I mean, it would probably be Josh Allen. They've gotten a lot of bad win loss luck, but I think Josh Allen has played a pretty good season. Although he's had some, he's been at fault for part of their win loss luck in one score games. And he's had some kind of meltdowns in some key spots. I don't think I would actually make the case for Josh Allen over Purdy. I don't think I would really make the case. And the other one might be McCaffrey himself on the same roster. I don't think I would make the case. uh, I would probably default to Purdy in that situation as well. I don't think I would make the case for anyone else. And it is an interesting, like your point about whether it's a team award, like to me, it comes back to like, it sort of has to go to San Francisco. I also think Kyle Shanahan should win coach of the year, which he's not favored to win. Because typically when teams have high expectations, their coaches that win coach of the year, that's one of the dumbest things that we have in these awards. I have pointed out recently, uh, Dan Campbell, I believe the last time I looked is the favorite because they were, which is weird because they were actually favored to win the division, but they have never, they haven't done it since 1993. It becomes sort of a narrative award. Um, I'm going to pull it up real quick and, and look at the, the other favorites are Shane Steichen is sort of over, uh, you know, without his starting quarterback exceeded expectations. D'Amico Ryans is one that I keep seeing brought up for Houston's success. Uh, and Shanahan's actually moved up to fourth, McDaniel's fifth, and then Stefanski and, and the rest of them are kind of longer odds. The The point about Shanahan and, and coach of the year, and one of the points I made on Twitter was like, we do actually evolve the way that we analyze, like the media evolves the way that they analyze these awards. I've had a lot of people say that like Shanahan can't win because Coaches don't get credit when they have really good rosters. Uh, I wouldn't surprise me if he actually won, and we do start to see a little bit of an evolution because there's been a lot of conversation about how some of the more recent coach of the years were just guys that you know got sort of lucky and win loss record, and they weren't actually good coaches. And that's been such a you know a focal point. It's sort of similar to when running backs stopped winning MVP. Like people made a really big deal about that, and then eventually they did stop winning MVP. We've also seen it to a lesser extent with receivers. And even uh, Sauce Gardner, a DB, winning Rookie of the Year over the last couple of years. Garrett Wilson last year winning the Offensive Rookie of the Year in a year where there wasn't really great candidates, I thought was an interesting – like, that's a shift. If you go look at 10, 20-year trends, it's typically been 
volume players at the, the rookie of the year spots at quarterback quarterback or running back typically often uh, on defense it's a linebacker if they don't have somebody who has big sack numbers then it'll be a tackles guy so to give it to a, a db i thought was interesting and it's not like sauce gardner had a bunch of interceptions it was just like this guy's really good at defending and we, we saw that right away so we my point is we shift to these these things that we look for and i it wouldn't surprise me if coach of the year is the next one to shift but i think shanahan deserves that the, the MVP discussion, to your point about it being a team award and those things, that's where I think it is an interesting conversation. I don't really think anyone else can get it right now, especially sitting here after week 15. But, like, if the Cowboys went on a three-game winning streak and Dak was incredible and Purdy had a couple bad games, like, we would have to have some legitimately bad games. I think you could make a, a case for Dak again. If they went and stole the one seed, like, there's things that could happen over the next three weeks that would shift the way that I would think about it. But right now – pretty clear to me that it's a 49ers team award but that is the part of it where it's like it's open to interpretation whether it should be a team award whether it should be us trying to figure out what value means how much value is being added yes purdy has elevated this offense statistically and is good and and like you said we're all very glad that that's you know being credited that direction as well but at the same time most of the other quarterbacks in this offense have been efficient at times even ones that went on to not be good anywhere else and there's an argument that jimmy garoppolo was just a bad quarterback other than the statistical bumps that he got in his time in san francisco now that he goes on to the raiders and he isn't very good there are you know some art we'll see how the rest of his career plays out but there are some arguments to that end that he's somebody who was heavily elevated by the situation and by the offense it's all at least interesting and there is nuance and it's important to be willing to talk in the gray area. And it drives me a little bit nuts when, I mean, it's mostly a social media thing, but when there's this idea that, that, that like things should be boiled down to a single thing, like Brock Purdy has to win because he's got this specific adjusted yards per attempt figure, right? As opposed to, you know, trying to actually parse some of those things, again, I do wind up falling back on it's probably Brock Purdy this year, in large part because there's no one else. Like I don't, I don't even know who I would make a case for otherwise. You do get a situation where I think some other things could happen, and you mentioned, you know, what happens if the Cowboys come roaring back. I don't necessarily expect that, but the Rams are currently making a push, and if they need week. 18 at the 49ers in order to make it and crush san francisco there i don't know exactly when all the votes are gathered for the mvp but that's a situation that would change how we perceive these teams as they head into the playoffs i do want to note that i think it'd be really unfortunate if kyle shanahan doesn't win coach of the year i don't have any specific you know enthusiasm for him over other people the 49ers are not a team that I root for outside of the fantasy element. So I'm not biased in that direction the same way I might be for a Lions or a Chiefs or what have you. But I mean, what he has done here is pretty remarkable. And if you can't get credit for it now and you're that good a coach, it's going to be hard to ever get credit for it because of the expectations that you've established for yourself. You think about personnel, they've done some really weird things personnel-wise, but again, it's like, what is the final roster that you've put together? What is the actual outcome? You can look at the process and the process matters, but then you also want to look at what the product is. I mean, what they're doing with this team is, is pretty crazy. 
And coaches do have a lot of responsibility for what their roster is. And depending on the given team, they may have the full responsibility. When you think about Bill Belichick, who's going to get fired, not for what he is as a coach, but what he's been in the last five, six, seven years as a general manager, which is a failed general manager. And so, I mean, if, if Shanahan doesn't get credit for this offense that he's put together and the results that they've generated, th- that would be a miscarriage of justice, I think, even though those other guys are are decent options. I mean, Dan Campbell is the coolest coach in the NFL, and they got dominated by the Chicago Bears twice. <laughs> so, I mean, again, all the teams have some warts on their resume. I think what Shanahan's done, you've got to give a lot of credit for. Ben, I am... On this Rams push, I think that if you look at the underdog playoff contest, then the Rams are essentially the NFC version of the Bills. The Bills obviously got much more expensive with their win over the Cowboys. I had an article about that late last week and how you needed to make sure you got your Bills teams in before that game happened because you were going to see a big shift in terms of how that was going to work. Because it was gonna it was gonna impact the odds on both sides of that game in an interesting way. I think the Rams are the NFC version and are inexpensive by contrast, and perhaps have players who can get you through the first round better. Because we've kind of evolved in a direction where these Bills players outside of James Cook, you know, maybe not as interesting for early round advance, because that's one of the other considerations. What are your thoughts there on LA and maybe anything that you see as being a final push that teams are going to do that is relevant either for reality or things people are doing fantasy wise. I think that's a great call. We got some great feedback from some listeners that because we, Sean, we drafted a gauntlet team and and did your idea with the bills in the mid rounds and, and got some feedback from on Twitter that people were excited to have leveraged that point, the bills, which they have now adjusted price wise so for you to say that the Rams are the next Bills is I definitely think something people should take note of if you're drafting those teams actively. I mean, yeah, that's a very concentrated team. They have moved into a playoff position with wins in four of their last five games. Since the bye, their only loss was at Baltimore in overtime, and they played really well for a West Coast team traveling to the East Coast in rainy conditions. I mean, that was a really good offensive game. Cooper Cup looks more like himself over the last few weeks. I think they're, you know, they're going to be able to – we're recording this on Thursday, so what happens on Thursday night football is going to sort of influence some of this discussion. I will say that my expectation is that they will win on Thursday night football over is the Saints. Is this when you first stealing lines? I am not yet, but sitting here discussing it, I might have to. <laughs> we'll, we'll take a we'll take a, a peek at it a little bit more. Um, it looks like it's a four point spread. I, I would like them to cover that at home, the Rams. So we'll see if that actually ends up occurring. But they then go to the Giants. I would expect them to go win at the Giants. And then you mentioned the Niners. They could be nine and seven when they face the Niners in Week 18. They're seven and seven right now, and in playoff position. If they get to nine and seven by that point, there's a pretty decent chance they're already sort of in. Because it isn't, I mean, there's two seven and seven teams that are in right now. The the second best wild card in the NFC right now is at seven and seven. On the in the AFC side, you have eight and six, two eight and six teams that are out. 
right? So like we do just have a little bit of better wild card records on the AFC this year. It's always a little bit imbalanced. Um, so if the Rams are able to win the next two weeks, they may be looking at sort of already having clinched at nine and seven and probably there will be scenarios where they could still lose and go out at nine and eight. So maybe that's not the case, but it certainly helped them that the Vikings and the Packers lost last week. One of the things that is not impossible, even though it feels like it would be for two NFC South teams to make it. And that is one of the reasons why tonight's game is important for the Rams. They need to knock huge. these Saints down. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's huge when you think about it in that regard. And part of the reason I would pick the Rams in that spot is I do have a lot more faith in Sean McVay uh, than Dennis Allen. I think the Saints are, you know, they, 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 they show up at certain times, but they also don't at other times. They're kind of a maddening team. Maybe they'll have a great game plan tonight. They've won two. Two straight games against some inferior opponents at home, Carolina and the Giants, but um, that you know a three-game losing streak prior to that. Yeah, so that it'll be interesting. But I do like that call. We'll see. You know, if the Rams win tonight, maybe their prices already start to adjust a little bit. We'll see if that happens. But if they don't, I mean, part of it is more that they, they might not, because part of it is more that I don't think people are necessarily like the Bills. People think can make a run if they get in. The Rams, I don't think are nece- people are necessarily buying can make a run. You're sort of making the case that they could. I think that's a fair a fair case to be made. The other team that I think is a little over or uh, underrated in terms of their ability to potentially make a run is the Lions. I know their defense is bad, but like, I they're going to have a home game, and then they're going to you know if they're able to win that, move into a, a, a tough road situation. But there are scenarios where they're or sorry not. Uh, I was going to say there's scenarios where they're actually the number two seed. Uh, so it's not a guarantee that they're in the road. They're tied right now with both Dallas and Philly. I don't know where the, you know, all the tiebreakers lie and everything, but it seems like San Fran's going to be the number one seed and Detroit. I would rather have them, even if they have to go on the road, going to one of those NFC East teams than having to play San Francisco in the second round. And so that's part of why I'm saying, I think they could potentially make a run to the NFC championship. That's an important point because the Lions are more protected than the Eagles and the Cowboys. I do also like the situation. One of the reasons that the Cowboys were both interesting and problematic at the same time is that the difficulty of their schedule contrasted with the relative ease of the Eagles schedule. Even when the Cowboys have the tiebreaker, they're you know going into last week, they are still the heavy underdogs to actually win the NFC East and be the two seed. And we immediately see that play out with them getting hammered by the bills. But yet then the Eagles blow that game to the Seahawks, which there are still some problematic things with the Cowboys going forward schedule wise, but they do hold serve basically by the Eagles blowing that game, which also does bring Detroit more back into the mix for a two seed. It also creates a scenario. I'm probably playing way too much into this, but when you're thinking from a fantasy perspective, the lions at the Cowboys is less scary than the Lions at the Eagles in a bad weather situation. And so, and you think about the the like kind of downstream fantasy repercussions too, where if it's weather, you're like, okay, all of the guys that I want to hit in terms of playing through Goff and Amon Ra and Gibbs and Laporta are less likely to score in a game where the weather's bad and Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson decide to give it to David Montgomery 25 times in a shootout with the Cowboys in, you know, more benign situation, 
you could get what we got last week, which is a much more exciting type of game. So exactly what you're saying, there are some structural elements that do favor the Lions to be a very good pick. They play in week 17. The Lions already go to Dallas in that week 17 matchup that you know, we've been talking about since best ball summer, but I wasn't really thinking through that. There's this possibility that Detroit goes to Dallas in week 17 and then goes back to Dallas in the second round of the playoffs as well just a few weeks later. Because, again, they're essentially locked into the three seed. The NFC South team can't come and go – whoever wins the NFC South can't go over top of them. So even if they don't win the number two seed, they'd be locked into the three seed. And if you're in the three seed, you're not going to play the one seed. So San Fran's now a game up on every other team in the NFC. If you think San Fran's going to continue to win and be the one seed, there's there are no scenarios where the Lions can actually play them in the second round. The three seed cannot match up with the one seed. There's just no math there. To your point on Dallas and Philly not being – as covered, if they are the number one wild card, they become the five seed. And there are obviously scenarios where the five seed can go to the one seed. They're less in, in control of their own um, their own advance and, and where they where they wind up. So um, Detroit, by virtue of that fourth NFC division being so weak and being locked into one of the top three seeds, they're three games up on the NFC South leader, and they're three games up on the Vikings in their division. They do play the Vikings twice. I mean, I guess it's possible the the Lions could completely collapse and lose to the Vikings both times and the Cowboys, and then the Vikings win their other game. Yeah, you got Minnesota, Dallas, Minnesota. That is not – You got to win one of them. With the Cowboys, you have Dolphins, Lions in these next two games, which especially after what happened to them with the Bills. I mean, one of the things is we just kind of expect them to bounce back in a big way, even though emotionally you're so – you know, tied to the most recent annihilation that you're like, oh, I mean, maybe they just completely go in the tank. The Cowboys-Dolphins game this week is far and away the most intriguing game on the schedule. Then by contrast, the Eagles have Giants, Cardinals, Giants. The Eagles, even with the loss against the Seahawks, you know, probably are going to have to mess this up to not have things work out for them. But A, they could, and B, you know, the Cowboys could bounce back and Dak could put himself right back in that conversation you've been talking about. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. The Eagles seem likely to coast to 13-4. and Dallas does have the tiebreaker right now. They would have to win out on that tough schedule, Miami and Detroit, these next two weeks. That decision we have, Goff versus Tua, you mentioned at the very top, I'm I'm like still thinking about that. I I wonder. I mean, golf was so huge last week, but I am a little bit interested in the idea of um, spinning back to two of this week. That game has a fifty over under. The Dolphins are favored by one point at home in Miami. The expectation is this is going to be a high scoring back and forth affair. The the Vikings are a really nice matchup as well. Obviously for Goff, and that also has a pretty high over/under at 47. That's going to be an in, that's going to be a tough decision. We also have Sean in, in that league a tough decision at defense. We have the Browns at the at the Texans, probably with the with the reports that CJ Stroud is is likely to miss again. You probably want the Browns' talent level on defense uh, over our other matchup that we had picked up for potentially using in this week. The Seahawks, who are at the Titans, they're also on the road you don't love your defenses on the road but they have the good matchup with will levis um maybe we'll just be going with the browns with uh with stroud out but that's another talking point there 
Keenum did throw a really bad pick six last week. I, I, I maybe that's not a a big decision. <laughs> I was going to make a pitch to you to bench DeAndre Swift and to put Kyle Pitts into the flex if the Falcons had gone back to back with decent games, but instead we got the apocalyptic performance from the Falcons. So, I mean, it would be fun to get pits in the lineup, especially with DeAndre Swift having moved into what, I mean, Ben, it's almost a low value touch profile or you can probably remove almost. I mean, it's almost only because I want it to be different. Do we have any question? I mean, for week 17, if the Falcons blow back up, are you willing to go with Kyle Pitts in the flex, yeah. take DeAndre Swift out of the lineup? I had the same thought about, about you know, starting to talk with you about this possibility. We don't really have a backup receiver that we would bring in. It would have been Josh Downs. He's had a really tough stretch. Jamison Williams hasn't really done enough for us. Jalen Hyatt's had a tough stretch. We also still have Quentin Johnson on this team. It's a, it's a bunch of names that we are excited about, a few rookies. Um, excited to hopefully see something from and, and then be willing to play, but we, we can't play those guys. Don't really have a running back. We still are carrying Ramondre Stevenson. Stevenson is the guy that we had played a decent amount. And the thing that's so frustrating is that he had started to actually do better. He had three – in his last three games, he had two over 20, which, again, when you're dealing with the risk of a Brees Hall – now, Brees Hall, we love too much. He's got too much ceiling probably for us to take him out even after a, a three-point game. But, I mean, Stevenson was the guy. I'm hoping that you know maybe some things move in the direction where he would be a Week 17 option – but especially, too, we'll have to see which players are perhaps the best matchup. I did want to ask you about Tua. Does it concern you that he's basically been a very poor fantasy quarterback for a long stretch here? One of the things people were, I mean, saying Does it him, concern you that he sucks? <laughs> the argument that I really had trouble with with his price preseason was that it was going to be so concentrated on Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle that – even with where those guys are being drafted, that he could be a bad quarterback play. And I mean, Ben, those are the only two guys who can possibly catch passes unless they throw something to A-chan. Now we've seen Cedric Wilson do a few things. Durham Smythe caught a pass last week. But I mean, it's basically just comes down to the yardage from those players. I mean, Jalen Waddle had a huge game last week, a huge game. He had like the first game that was similar to what our thesis was for him. <laughs> and yet Tua gets 15 points last week. I mean, again, borderline unplayable. I mean, he almost has to have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell have huge games to even be a viable fantasy quarterback, which, you know, does explain some of that price coming in. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a big concern. 55 rush yards, no rushing TDs. I actually talked about this with our buddy Drick O'Connor O'Driscoll on stat chasing this week. I, I subbed in over there. And we were talking a little bit about never too early drafts that are going to be starting up for next year. And I was basically getting to this point of being like, Tua feels pretty maxed out. I mean, you get a 2,000-yard season from Tyree Kill and you're you're like QB 10. It's all the points you just made. I was making earlier this week and was like, I'm going to probably be out on Tua next year because there's still – we talked through obviously still some concussion risk and those things. So, so like for going forward, it is a bummer that his profile didn't manifest more favorably because he has been efficient again as well. He needs to be in the Brock Purdy efficiency range to really be able to score. 
I do think in this game, I mean, it's a tough one. The Cowboys are a tough defense, but they're at home. It's a really important game. I think it's going to be a competitive game against a team that's going to throw at a high rate. There's the potential for, you know, elevated volume, right? There's some talk that Mostert's a little bit banged up, right? Maybe a little bit higher pass rate as a result because Achan's maybe more thought of as a, pa- a higher pass rate running back. He's catching passes more. And yet he's the perfect player to execute the James Cook plan from just last week. I mean, those guys have so many similarities. Yes. Yeah. The what the Bills did with Cook, like the real life plan. I thought you were, I was thinking specifically fantasy, but yeah, that would make perfect sense. It's hard to sit Goff, but there's also the element of, you know, we still have him stacked with Waddle. We probably need a Waddle ceiling game. And two is probably a little bit differentiated on the leaderboard, as opposed to Goff is probably on a lot of these rosters that are up near the top. It's, uh, I mean, it's all, it's a tough call. I'm not, I'm, I'm essentially making the case that I think we could go to uh and then go back to golf. Cause the other thing is, doesn't Miami have, they have Baltimore right in weeks. We're not playing them in week uh, 17 golf will be back at home against Dallas. Oh, that's interesting. We'd wind up playing against Dallas two weeks in a row. Not exactly the you know the past defense you want to be targeting or anything, but I can't imagine playing two at Baltimore. So it really comes down to, you know, would you would you think that he has a ceiling at home against Dallas in a game with a high over under? Goff's got a good matchup against Minnesota. It's a tricky one. It's a it's a tricky spot. So much fun to be in a situation where those start-set decisions give you a lot of stress over the course of the week. We hope that a lot of Stealing Bananas listeners have that good stress as we go forward. Good luck tonight. Good luck this weekend. We have games on Saturday. Obviously, Ben, the holiday season coming up as well. We wish everybody a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, everything that you celebrate. We hope you have a wonderful time with friends and family. It's the perfect time of year. And that'll do it for today's episode of Ceiling Business. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. At Ceiling Signals, Stealing Lines, Ceiling Signals Gold. Ben, do we have another Ceiling Signals Gold? I know you are uh, have a little bit of a, a adjusted holiday plan. I am going to do the Signals Gold next week. Uh, no Stealing Signals because typically I'm writing all day Monday and it is Christmas Day. We'll, we'll still do like my input volatility post over there in the later part of the week, but won't be getting a Monday email from me. I will be doing signals gold on Tuesday. Awesome. So you'll be able to get that great content. We'll have lots for you at Rotoviz. Leave us a rating review, but again, mostly happy holidays. We love you guys. Good luck this week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.